Welcome, my friends, to the sweet spot where IT leaders bring insights to other IT leaders that want to be leaders. I am your host, Carlos Vargas, and I'm here with my co-host, Howard Holton and Paul Lewis. Hey, guys, how you doing? Good, Carlos. How are you? Very good. good. I'm decent. <laughs> so... After being through this journey that we have been talking about, leading an IT department, leading a business, and talking about being secluded or separated a little bit at home, I think that the question may come out for our hearing, our hearing audience is, what do we do to lead when we are separated? I think that probably some people may feel like they're siloed. I think that that may be a, conver a quick conversation that we should have. How do we lead after this? Well, I think, I think leading out of a silo, I think is really important, right? Um, and, and regardless of whether we're talking about the COVID pandemic that we're currently dealing with, which certainly is exacerbating any silos that are created, right? We're home, we're alone, we're not seeing people in person. Uh, the default human action has always been to communicate within the groups that you exist within, right? So as we've become far more um, dispersed and more siloed, I think the silos of communication have, have kind of hardened and you probably have found some new ones that have been created. But even when we look at, you know, being in an office, being in an organization and seeing people in person, we still have those silos that get kind of naturally formed and naturally created. And one of the big failure points around transformation efforts like digital transformation end up being the silos that we've created being a little too hard, right? Um, even transformation efforts like switching to a DevOps practice. Um, you have the natural kind of big silos that exist between operations and software development that have to come down. But even within those organizations, you have individual silos that, that really for something like DevOps to work, you have to break those silos down. There has to be a lot more crosstalk and a lot more cross chatter. Um, and, and ultimately, I would say that that's probably the biggest challenge uh, any executive will face. How do I break down the silos that, that exist and, and may, have, you know, may, have, may have been okay, may have even had value in the past, but no longer have value? So I think that's a really good topic for today. What do you think, Paul? I think it's an excellent topic. However, it's hard to say that I've been isolated or separated. I've been holed up in this household with... Uh, with family members. <laughs> I kind of wish I've had this isolation. That would have been amazing. I've spent too much time with my family. Uh, but I agree with you that, that what's interesting about sort of the federated approach of what we're dealing with now um, is that we have to work together more, not work together less. Uh, and we have a hard time doing that when we don't have these barriers. So how do we do that now that we have these barriers? It's a, it's a complex problem to try to solve. Um, I, I would say one of the things that I would suggest starting with is inter, we'll call them silo, inter-silo stand-ups, right? Not that we need more meetings. What we probably should do is figure out how to have less meetings that don't have value and have more meetings that do have value. But as a leader, try to organize interdepartmental stand-ups, little 10, 15-minute meetings where people can talk about not just what they're doing, but what they're doing within the context of the the 
the gates or trouble that they've run into, right? Um, I'm developing a new application. We're stuck waiting for CX. Okay, let's talk to customer service. Why are we stuck waiting for customer experience on this issue, right? Or um, I can't get the resources that I need. I'm stuck waiting here, right? And have representatives from those things. So we start really establishing those lines of communication. And what you'll find, I think before long, is they stop waiting for the standup. Right. So that standups are less about informing other people and it's far more about solving roadblocky problems, right? I don't care what you're doing on a daily basis, but I do care if you're stopping me from doing the things that I need to do. Right. Right. It's not, it's not reporting on the things that I've done. It's reporting on the things that are preventing me from moving forward to help create those relationships. And then before long, those relationships are created and it's really just about um, kind of now, then it does become more kind of informational. What's coming next so I can be prepared? You've got some 101 problems though, right? You've got the, uh, what could have been an email, but now is a phone call, right? What could have been a three-person conversation became a 30-person conversation. How do we, how do we figure out sort of the, not, not just the best technology used and the best mode to use, but even the best participants to have? We haven't, I don't think we've solved that problem yet. We um, err to many people instead of err to fewer people. So I would agree, but, but I think that's actually kind of where standups are different than meetings. Standups are not meetings very specifically, right? Um, they don't include everyone. They're not supposed to include everyone. It's not um, decision by committee, right? They're much more rapid fire. And, and I'm going to steal some advice from running Dungeons and Dragons. I try not to do it often, but in this case, uh, it actually might make sense. Um, what we do in D&D is um, we use a, a technique called initiative. Um, everyone goes on the initiative table in order, and, that, and they execute their actions in order. Now, for game speak, everything occurs at the exact same time. But that doesn't really make for you know, cohesive play if everyone's just screaming out what they want to do. And so we just kind of go around the horn right, if that makes sense, to try to enable that communication. And there's, it, it eliminates a lot of the crosstalk. Um, you know, you, you, can, you can just go left to right and then immediately go right to left, right? Don't always go in the same direction. It ensures everyone gets, has a say, everyone gets to say what kind of they need or what's on top of their mind. And then their chance to respond comes when you come back around the horn. Um, the goal is not to, is not a, a finger pointing. It's really just to enable communication. So it's not, let's get to the root cause of why this roadblock is occurring, right? It's just this roadblock is occurring. Can you please help us remove it? And I think those two things, right? Using kind of an around the horn and then back around the horn, followed by it's not the blame game. It's just informational. Don't try to establish blame. Don't try to establish responsibility. Just try to move the, the bar forward. I think those two things would help a lot. Which works in a world that you're jointly trying to get to a goal which means that sort of the hierarchical sphere of influence makes sense. But if the needle you're trying to move is outside your sphere, right? It's, it's IT plus marketing plus finance plus operations. And it's not about a project, but it's just about the business, right? It's just some, some activity within the business that requires joint communication. Then that is that just as effective or do I have to use different, different means, different, processes to support that 
I mean, I think it's just as effective, right? And everything's a project. There is no such thing as just the business because everything comes down to, if I'm doing work on something, that's a product. Who do I need to get involved in that product? What are the minimum number of people that I need involved to make a decision to get the work done to move the product forward? Yeah. And I guess problems are also projects, right? For but sure. to fix a problem, it could still be articulated as a, as a, a project manager leading a project right. in some way, right? How difficult... How about... Okay, go Carlos, go ahead. That's very interesting what you both are talking, and I was just thinking, for a manager talking to a team, that may be easier. Do you think that executive, like Paul, I was just thinking that Paul was mentioning different departments. So at the executive level, will this be something that also can then probably speed up some of the, the conversations that happen? Does not have to be so long like traditional it is? What, what do you think in there, guys? So I always did stand-ups with my COO and my, my CTO and the other executives, right? My, my chief sales officer, right? My chief revenue officer. I always did stand-ups with them to do that kind of cross-chatter. And if I didn't need something from the CRO, but I needed something from, um, you know, a department head, I just went to the department head and included them in the stand-up. I found them super valuable and it didn't, it, it wasn't just the things that were within my sphere of influence. It was really specific to things that were outside of my sphere of influence or, you know, two people that, that didn't have the same sphere of influence, getting them to communicate. I, I do think it requires a different level of active moderation, right? So I, I almost look at the difference between how we did physical, let's say roundtables and virtual roundtables in a physical roundtable. You know, there's 15 people around a table. You could see body language and eye contact and you can have, uh, you know, engaging conversation with your hands and you kind of knew when to start and when to stop. Uh, uh, the moderation was much more about posing questions, right? What do you think about this? Then let's, let's all jump on that and add to it. But in a virtual world, it's much more active, right? You need to give people their minute of time, but then move on to another minute of time. Um, and you can't tell so much about the, the body language. You can just see the, the facial language. Um, and timing becomes important, right? This, we only have five minute allocation for this thing. So we got to get through this thing to talk about the next agenda part. So, so now it can't just be pick a person in the room to moderate. You actually have to have moderation skills. Uh, That's very true. Um, I don't know that I would ever do... Uh, a virtual stand-up without someone as the moderator uh, and sometimes that's the you know the leader the highest ranked leader in the room right maybe that is the CIO working cross department on to the VPs that report into him or her um, and and maintaining the moderation but it would be it is really important that the moderator understand their job is to moderate not umpire and those things are are distinctly different right you're not ruling on whether someone is right or wrong you're simply making sure that the communication channel gets established and that both sides have a chance to speak or all sides have a chance to speak, right? If you've got 12 people in the, in the, uh, in the standup, then 12 people need to speak, that everyone is heard and ideally that they're listening. If you need to correct someone's, someone's behavior, if you need to sit down with them, do that as a one-on-one, -on -one, right? It's not a time to umpire. So how do you break down the silo when it's even outside of your organization? Right, so now we're talking about as buyers, how do we expect to 
interact with suppliers differently? And then as suppliers, how do we expect to interact with customers differently? That's, there's some uniqueness to those problems. I mean, I would say that's vendor management and customer service kind of 101 level stuff, right? If you're not getting the level of communication that you need with a vendor, and I don't know that COVID has made that so much significantly worse other than I can't call you on the carpet in my office. I have to do it via chat. Like, um, I don't know that that's <laughs> really, you, you know, that, that comes up, but I don't know that that's really that complicated, right? My attitude was always, if I'm, if I'm paying you, you at least need to do me the service of listening to what I have to say. doesn't mean I'm right, right? The, the, the customer is always right, only extends to about the first 15 seconds. But, but you know, the active listening skills, I think, are important on both sides. Um, Do you think the selling experience is different? Now, since I'm not in, like, since there's no salesperson in front of me and showing them me their wares and demoing product, and you know, I can ask and answer technical questions in the room. Now that it has to be sort of virtual experience, um, do I have a different expectation of something like an EBC, an executive briefing, or just a regular sales meeting? Do I, as an example, would I now expect since it's virtual that uh, it's much more likely I have the actual principal technologist or somebody from product management or somebody who has a detailed technical engineering perspective of the thing they're looking for, or that I expect the, on the other side, the president or the CEO to be in the room. Like now that it's a virtual, the excuse of the location isn't relevant. Therefore I have a much, uh, uh, I think I can have less meetings and therefore more important people per meeting. Does that make sense? 100%. And I would say the big challenge there is engagement, right? The, when we're virtual, it's much easier to get the right people on the call, but it's much harder to retain their focus. It's much harder to, to retain that level of engagement that we had when we're all in the room, right? If we're all, if everybody's in the room and you start noticing people looking down at their phones all the time, you know you've lost the audience. But it's much, much harder to do when there's nine people or 12 people or 15 people on a virtual call. Right. And so I think timing and pacing and scheduling and moderation all start to become a lot more important in virtual calls. And I would say on both sides. Right. Um, I would never plan, like as a customer, doing, doing all these virtual calls, I would never go into a virtual call without having someone from my side as the official note taker. Hmm. Right. I want to make sure that the information is getting captured. I probably would want a recording of the call. Hmm. Right. If I'm actually thinking about, about placing an order and we dig into the technology and we get real into like, you're showing me a demo, you're doing all these things. I probably would want a recording of the call. That's an interesting IP challenge. Now that you bring that up, Carlos. I was going to go there. So from a technology yeah. standpoint, it's very easy to do that. Will you like a recording as a customer? Will you like a transcription of the call? Or it is more so you can sit down later and try to debrief with other people that were not in that room? It's, it's, for, it's for a bunch of reasons, right? Um, not the least of which is when we do the customer only after action, right, which we always did, what did you think? Does this do what we need to do? Did you see the things you wanted to see? Um, there's always a little bit of telephone that happens, right? 
Um, mm -hmm. They said this, no, they said this, no, they said this. Having the recording allows me to, allows us to go to that point and go, well, this is actually what they said, so let's get some clarification, right? right. And then the other thing is, it'd be really nice to have the video and just be able to snip to the places that they're at where they're actually doing a demo and share that with other people. Right. So then the video and the capability to search within the video will be something that will be valuable. So as an executive, you can say, well, go here. Here's where we started the demo. See if this meets the requirement. Sharing that. Sharing that. What is the concern that you may have that you're looking at technology and now there's a recording that you're actually looking at that yeah, non-technology-wise, preparation becomes far more important. Right now that it's recorded and you can see it again, the likelihood that um, uh, you have to already be prepared with all the potential questions and answers, that you have to be far more professional than you normally would. Right? You you can't be you can't be talking for fifteen minutes about skiing and kids and horses. Right? You've got to actually go through the process of being as detailed and informative as possible um and then watching the exact tone and words that you use right because if they could haunt you right you could say yes we have 100 percent data guarantee um and then in fact <laughs> suggest that you didn't say it and they'll bring the record back up again right so so preparation isn't you know uh meeting on the drive to the client site it is hours of preparation before you get there and then even worse, well, I'm going to say even worse, even better, it depends on the perspective. Even worse might be now there are technologies to actually score the value of the presentation, right? You can actually say whether the tone was correct and the speed was correct and that you hit on all the right notes of the, of the topics you're trying to address. And that could be used to score not only you as a vendor, but you inside of the vendor environment to say how you scored against other account teams. So it becomes a a wild west potentially <laughs> but it also becomes tremendous value right because now as a vendor now if i'm the supplier if i'm the one doing the demos if i'm the one answering the questions i can start to really identify um the individuals that bring very specific value right what speakers really do drive the highest engagement right and that might be totally different from the ones that have the deepest technical knowledge and then can answer those questions. And it might again be different, those that have the deep technical knowledge but can't think on their feet versus those that aren't quite as deep but can think on their feet. And because it's a virtual environment, it does give you the ability to have some or all of those people on the call, right? Maybe you only have the guy doing the demo on the call during the demo. Once the demo's off, that person drops and there's another tech expert on and maybe that tech expert is using teams in the background i've done that on calls before right where we had some experts on but they weren't really the most engaging speakers they really you know they really weren't comfortable with it but but they were great at at feeding answers to questions in like a teams chat or us or a um you know another chat platform right a discord or slack um like the the ability to be virtual is far better for the vendor than in person, right? Uh, there are people that you just simply could not get assets you couldn't get access to, um, and now you don't. It doesn't have to be this account team versus this account team, 
right? The account team can now really focus much more on the relationship, much more on the specific customer use case, and not so much on being real deep in the product because I can get the deep product people wherever they are, right? So I think there's tremendous value from that perspective. Well, you think that part of the meeting, you bring that expert already pre-recorded or they should be live? I think pre-recording is disingenuous, right? If you're going to do pre-recording just, just before the meeting, say this person is not able to make it. We're going to have them do the demo. Um, but, but I've attached a video of the demo that they did at some event or our internal training demo that they recorded, right? I think it's disingenuous to, to bring a pre-recording to the, to the meeting. Plus it actually shows you lack skill set. Because the first thing I would say as a buyer is, oh, you only had one person in your entire organization that could demo this product? That, that would make no sense to me, right? You don't, you don't have the appropriate bench if, if we were relying on that one person. That is a very good point, Paul, that if you have only one person that is able to do the demo and they cannot do it there. Uh, so then from a standpoint of, like you mentioned, breaking those silos, as an executive, will you be looking at a longer presentation because now you can sit down and pay attention because you don't have 50 things that are calling you or then it should be shrunk to actually be smaller than before because now we don't need to waste the time on all the other stuff that is of everything that is happening. I would do, um, I would be fine with longer sessions with far more breaks in between right i think i think the expectation needs to be no single piece of content longer than 30 minutes no single you know breaks every every 30 minutes and sometimes those breaks are just q a right like wrangling getting everybody back in front of the camera every 30 minutes would be hard but you can certainly say it's 30 minutes and then 15 minutes of q a 15 minutes of customer perspective about the thing they just heard, the thing that was just presented, the topic at hand, right? Did we cover what you need? Do we want to go deeper? That sort of stuff. Um, and I think a lot more forced interaction is required. And, and I'd also be fine with longer um, sessions, sorry, longer total sessions, but in let's say 15, 20 minute increments and have different audience members. It's quite possible the CIO only needs to be there for the business conversation. Does it need to be there for the technical deep dive? Well, let's make sure we can put those appropriate scheduling in place so that they show up when we need them to show up. So that yeah, I, think, I think really being focused on who the audience is and what you're talking about at that particular moment, I think is really important. I think that's how an in-person EBC type thing should be run anyhow. Start with the high level business conversation everybody's why, voice of the customer, strategy, and then kind of dig into the more technical pieces and allow the audience members that aren't appropriate for either side to step in and out, right? These are very long meetings. And, and I think when you're doing it virtual, I think it's more incumbent upon the vendor to really kind of set that up, right? This is gonna be this level of detail. We're gonna want engineering in the room. Then we're gonna talk about how it's supported. So we're gonna want those people in the room, right? And really make sure that your agenda has more than just a title on it, but really like who's the intended audience? What level are we talking to? That sort of thing. So if we're looking at that, 
we talk about breaking the silos of how we lead different teams, how we go with the customer. How then we bridge the gap of then the people that are now working at home and that may become a new reality. Like we heard on previous podcast from some of the leaders that have been with us. How do we start breaking then the silos that when somebody's working remotely and they probably are not too connected versus the reality that was before that we were together and the silos were different. How do you think that that could work? So I, I think it's important to think about, um, you know, there's been a lot of discussion of a 50-50 split, right? That reducing the number of people in the office to 50% at any given time helps to add a little bit of social distancing, helps to, helps to reduce the density. Um, and so let's just take that as an example, right? I don't want 50% of any one team working from home and in, versus in, in the office. What I would really prefer is that one team works all from home and then all in the office, right? And kind of do it that way. But I think it's also really critical to schedule it so that all of the same teams are not always separate from each other, right? So that, so that let's say for instance, you've got storage, networking, and compute as three teams. Those are three very traditional teams that ideally would be broken down by now, but aren't always everywhere. Right. If storage and compute are always in the office and always at home at the same time, so those two groups will continue to communicate. But if networking has the opposite, then there's going to be a, a much harder silo created between networking and storage and compute than between storage and compute, as an example. And so you'd want to you'd, you'd really want to think about how that rotation works so that you're able to at least get those people in front of each other every other week. And even if that means that you're doing things like uh, a three two split right? Where they're, you work remote two weeks, you're in the office two weeks, you work remote two weeks, and you kind of rotate that, right? I think some thought needs to be put into how do we make sure that we're not re reinforcing silos while at the same time trying to break them down. And, and the net impact of that is a complete redo of office space, right? Certainly there's going to be a compression of office space, but of the remaining part of that, there are no personal offices. There are only teaming rooms, 100% teaming rooms. It is enough for a space of, you know, 15 to 30 people and you have uh, 20 of those rooms. So it, you're always going into a teaming room. It's about teaming. It's not about working at home. In fact, there are so few individual offices <laughs> that nobody would go in there to be in an individual office. That's that's the new setup of that office scheme. And then what do we think about the teams normally when they're in the office, they go to the water cooler, to the coffee, and they talk, they share. What do we do? Because that sometimes helps break silos because then people can interact. Now we don't have that, how do we make a virtual water cooler or a virtual coffee room or something? What do you think that could be some, some ideas for leaders that they can share with their teams to try to break those silos and bring people together? I don't think there's an easy answer to that one, right? Um, I think as we start to reintegrate an office and we start rethinking kind of what space utilization looks like, um, I think the goal really should be um, this kind of split, you're no longer in the office 100% of the time, and maybe you're only in the office 30% of the time, 
then the focus really needs to be on the time that you're in the office is not about individual productivity, but about team productivity and maybe inter-team productivity, right? And so we start designing spaces really focused on as much water cooler style communication and conversation as possible. And having unscheduled video conferencing, like we, like we do this scheduled video conference every media, every Monday at nine o'clock and we do this thing, but maybe have an open forum, like just keeping some sort of room open at all times. Anybody can come in and out of that room whenever they wish. Uh, it's an obvious meeting place if you want to do something ad hoc. And that way you're, you're, it's kind of like a gaming environment, right? You're just showing up to a location. You notice people there. Hey, I've been talked to Henry in a while. Let me go have a quick chat with Henry since we're all in this open meeting space. One of the things that was the most effective at my last company was um, heavy use of Slack. Um, because it, it kind of bridged the gap between the forced jumping into like a Zoom where I have to be focused on the camera, I have to give someone my attention, and the really casual conversation of email. Right? And, and we found chat really kind of bridged the gap. Um, and ideally, being able to turn that chat into a real quick, okay, I think we now need, like now we're communicating back and forth enough, now we need to hop into a Zoom. Um, and I think that sort of stuff becomes really helpful, right? Really kind of understanding what the communication platforms are that you have and what they're each best suited for and then promoting them for their best use. I think that that becomes a real important uh, leadership skill. Do you think that like, I know that Microsoft has one that used to, uh, Yammer, Facebook have the workplace at Facebook that are like social platforms for people to interact Will that be something that will be helpful? Is that too distracting uh, from your point of view? No, we encouraged um, um, even Slack channels that had nothing to do with work, right? We heavily encouraged that. Somebody wants to go talk about movies. We had a, like, a pop culture Slack channel. Go talk pop, pop culture because um, it's really about change, creating channels of communication. And regardless of what the focus of that channel is, once the channel of communication is created between people, that channel then gets used. Oh, you know, I know we're talking about, you know, um, Upload, the, the new great TV show. <laughs> I bring it it's up brilliant. because I think Paul and I both binged it yesterday. <laughs> um, but since I have you here, can, do you think you could help me? I have this really weird issue or, or you know, I, I noticed that there's a ticket that's stuck or, you know, whatever it happens to be. It's really about creating those lanes of communication and frankly, do whatever you need to do to make those lanes of communication as open and clear as possible. That's actually a great point. And I would, uh, I would think that we need to create technology or enable technology that allows for uh, third party consumption. So imagine a world to which we have three screens here. There's a fourth screen, which is a movie we get to watch the movie, the three of us, and comment on the movie to ourselves while we're watching that movie, right? We, we need those kind of mechanisms. In fact, we need a mechanism to be a, a non-participant in a third-party meeting so that there are four other people watching us three talk, and those four other people can open up a secondary channel and have a conversation, a video conversation about our conversation. That Those kind of technologies need to exist it's something easy to set up. 
I was actually using one like that uh, a couple of days ago to try it. This one called Screener that allow you to watch Netflix and you can video chat with I think up to four or eight at the same time I was trying with the kids to help them so they can watch their video with their friends. So that's a very interesting point. Consuming or seeing the, the, the information and be able to share it with other people at the same time. Hmm. Yeah, I think a mystery science theater for the enterprise probably has far more value than exactly. Screener. Like I'm familiar with Screener too, right? I've got a college kid. Um, yeah. And so it's a real big deal to be able to watch the same thing regardless of where you're at. Um, but I think an enterprise level solution for that, I think would have tremendous value. It would certainly be something that I would, that I would promote, right? Even if it's just, let's all watch the same training video. Right. Being able to just right in the midst of the training video go, okay, wait, uh, guys, I didn't, I, I, what does that actually mean? I'm not familiar with that. Or he just referred to a feature that I've not seen before, but I thought he was going to go into it and he didn't go into it. Can we pause and, and somebody fill me in really starts to increase that collaborative learning and probably right. does it in a way that you couldn't do in, in an instructor led class very well, because you're in, you're, you're interrupting the instructor. This way you just pause a video. The cost is, is non-existent. Right. All that being said, because I know we're running out of time, while all of this is valuable and we need these kind of technologies to support us, it still doesn't take away from the value of an in-person conversation, right? It, it will not stop from this point forward. At some point, we need to go to lunch. We need to go have dinner. We need to go play around to golf. We need to go bowling because those build personal relationships above and beyond the virtual personal relationship those will still need to occur they're not going away they might be less uh, but they absolutely will still occur and i would say as a leader um, if you're not doing one-on-ones weekly specific one-on-ones where your people talk to you not the other way around you're you're missing one of the key values you provide as a leader and then second you really should have some sort of team meeting once a week as well. They don't have to be long. Give everybody two minutes to speak. It doesn't need to be more than that, right? And just make sure if it looks like they need to talk for more than two minutes to your team members, say, hey, why don't you guys follow up right after this call, right? You as a leader have to lead the new style of communication. It's incumbent upon you. And so really take and make that extra effort and set aside some extra time to make sure you're doing one-on-ones. Well, my friends, it's been awesome to hear Paul and Howard talking about how to lead really after all the changes that have happened so we don't stay siloed, but we can leverage now, could be technology, could be strategy, or could be different areas where we can probably come back and work sometime, then work remotely. And those strategies are awesome. So I will suggest to you, number one, make sure that you subscribe to our podcast and our video channel and that you share these strategies with your team and friends and family members. Because remember, we all want to grow. We want to become better leaders. And here in the C-Spot, our mission is to share our insights so you can be better leaders. My friends, it's been awesome to have you here with us and we'll see you on our next episode.